Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Let's hear about this episode's topic. Hi there. Uh, My little one just got stung by a bee. I think he's okay, but I'm not sure. Do I need to take him to the emergency department? Good question. Yeah, I hope he's okay now. (laughs) I I hope that he called his actual pediatrician. But, I mean, this is a good question because it's scary, right? You get stung by a bee. You're wondering, are they going to be allergic if it's the first time? Um, what What do we look out for? And really... When we are writing and recording this episode, we are in the end of summer, and I definitely have seen many visits to my office for insect and spider bites, so I think it's definitely topical. And that makes sense, because kids spend more time outdoors and are more likely to come into contact with these critters in the summer. Mm -hmm. And many times, bites or stings can cause a really alarming amount of swelling and discomfort. And so let's review a little first aid for insect stings and bites and when we should be concerned about maybe something else going on. And of course, we can also discuss some of the infections that insects can carry. And and, and this is important because um, it's important to avoid getting a bite or sting in the first place. So the most common insects that children will come into contact with are bees, mosquitoes, and spiders. So let's do a brief review of these insects today. Right. And let's start with bees, some of my favorite Mm -hmm. insects because they pollinate our flowers. They provide us with honey, yum, and Mm -hmm. they are the subject of one of my all-time favorite kid songs. Do you know the Baby Bumblebee song? I do know that song. But one of the issues with bees is um, they do have many benefits, um, but they can ruin your day if you make one mad. (laughs) Absolutely. So bees, wasps, hornets, and yellow jackets um, are the stinging creatures that tend to hang out in areas with a lot of flowers, picnic areas, and beaches. And unlike some of the other insects we're going to discuss that cause irritation by a bite— bees and these other animals um, will sting you. So our advice is that all kids should avoid gardens, picnics, and the beach, right? (laughs) Which, of course, we do not think you should do, but there are ways that you can minimize your child's chances of getting stung. So check the area that your child plays for hives or nests. Um, If they avoid wearing bright colors and floral patterns in these high-risk areas because those bright colors attract um, bees and and insects, and instead dress your child in more neutral colors like white, green, tan, and those are not as attractive to insects and bees. And then avoiding sweet foods um, on picnics like watermelon, sodas, juices, because bees are attracted to that scent as well. And then, of course, always making sure you're wearing shoes while playing outside in the grass to prevent stepping on these insects. So along with Dr. Lena's fashion advice, it's good to know that more than 95% of stings come from honeybees and yellow jackets. And the most immediate symptoms from a bee sting are going to be pain, redness, itching, and mild swelling. Luckily, these mild reactions only last a few hours and improve with icing the area and just waiting it out time. 
You might notice a little black dot present at the site of the sting, and this may be the stinger left in the skin. You know, interestingly, only honeybees will leave the stinger in the skin, and then they die after they sting you. You can use a credit card or a fingernail to try to scrape off the stinger, or use a piece of tape to adhere to it and pull it off. You don't want to squeeze it, because this may cause more venom to be released into the skin. So if you can't remove it completely, don't worry, because our bodies do a good job of really just getting rid of this on their own by expelling the stinger. And although local redness and swelling are the most common symptoms, sometimes these reactions can be quite large and really impressive. They're called large local reactions, and um, they occur frequently in up to 10% of kids that get stung. Um, So they're 5 to 10 centimeters in diameter usually. Sometimes they're even bigger than this, and they surround the immediate site of the sting. So 5 to 10 centimeters is 2 to 4 inches, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the swelling generally peaks in one to two days, but the reactions can last seven to ten days. And people often mistake these for cellulitis or skin infections, and then they may be treated unnecessarily with antibiotics. Yeah, and this large local reaction isn't limited to bee stings. It can also happen frequently after mosquito bites or spider bites, which we'll discuss later as well. And I imagine that the biggest fear parents have when they see this large reaction is that it might be an allergic reaction. So how can parents know for sure? It's a great question. And, you know, remember, for most allergies, a serious reaction is unlikely if it's the first time an exposure occurs. So if your child is being stung for the very first time, like in our collar, it's unlikely that they're going to have a true anaphylactic reaction, which is like the whole face swelling, tongue swelling, trouble breathing situation. Usually, if the child's swelling is limited to the area around the sting only, it's not a sign of a bee venom allergy. Instead, if you notice hives develop in areas away from the site of the sting or swelling of the tongue or the throat or difficulty breathing, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea or dizziness, this can be real signs of a severe allergy, and then you should seek immediate medical attention. It is important to know that this is rare. It occurs infrequently in less than 1% of children, but it can be life-threatening. So some estimates suggest that between 40 and 150 people, so adults, not just children, die annually in the U.S. related to insect stings. Children are more likely to have isolated skin reactions and less likely to have anaphylaxis or severe allergic reactions compared to adults. And so now that we've discussed a little bit about prevention and what reactions occur to a bee sting may look like, let's talk about treating these stings. So for the local reactions, after removing the stinger, if it's possible, apply ice to the area, elevate it if it occurs on an arm or a leg, this will keep the swelling down, and you can apply an over-the-counter steroid like hydrocortisone 1% cream and consider giving an antihistamine like cetirizine or loretidine. You can also consider applying a meat tenderizer, which is an aluminum-based deodorant or baking soda paste onto the sting, which will neutralize the venom and help with pain and swelling. Although I know I don't have any meat tenderizer laying around. I'm not sure who does. Right. I I mean, I'm vegetarian, so there's none (laughs) in my house. (laughs) But you may have some if you're a real chef, or I think a lot of people have baking soda, so that's a good option. Mm -hmm. If your child has any symptoms of anaphylaxis or a systemic allergy, you want to call 911 right away. Or if the allergy is already known, 
then administer an EpiPen at the same time as calling 911. If your child has symptoms of an allergy to a bee sting, check in with your pediatrician right away. They may refer you to an allergist and they may prescribe an EpiPen. It's important to remember that the dose of the EpiPen in children changes as their weight changes. So you want to make sure you have the appropriate one for the weight of your child and make sure it's not expired. If the allergy seems severe enough, the allergist may recommend immunotherapy, which is a series of allergy shots given over a period of time. This can ultimately eliminate the risk of life-threatening reactions to stings. All right, so now that we've reviewed bee stings, let's buzz on over to our (laughs) pesky friend, the mosquito. Um, Oh my gosh, I don't know about you, but to me, like one of the most annoying sounds in the entire world is when you're like trying to sleep or you're camping or something and you just hear that like Mm -hmm. in your ear. Oh, it drives me insane. I hate that. You know, it seems like it's right in your ear. So sometimes I like whack my ear to try to get it. And then I only end up with like a sore ear. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is that is so, so horrible. I just can never sleep when that is happening to me. Um, And I am just one of those people that the mosquitoes love to bite. So I'll go camping and every other person like leaves with like zero or one bite. And I'm like a leopard. I'm like covered in them. There does seem to be that some people, they seem to attract mosquitoes more than others. So is there data to support why this is? Well, there have been some studies that show that female mosquitoes, which are the ones that actually bite humans, um, have odoreceptors that can sense an increase in carbon dioxide emissions. So like for people that are like breathing faster or outputting more carbon dioxide, um, it might also be related to like your unique body odor that they smell. And then maybe like a study that found that people with blood type O are more commonly to get a bit. Uh, But really all of these are kind of loose, loose associations. And I don't think we really know why some people are more delicious than others. Are you blood type O? No, I'm A A positive, so that doesn't hold up for me. I don't know. No, it sure. doesn't. I'm blood type O and I I don't think I'm more prone to mosquito huh. bites. So All right. Well, N of well, we two. Just, right, N of two. <laughs> right. Our own study. We should publish Debunked. it. Right. Well, we know that mosquito bites are not only annoying and uncomfortable, but they also pose a risk of transmitting illnesses, infections. Right. And really severe illnesses in many parts of the world and And so that's why mosquitoes are really referred to as the deadliest animal in the world, Mm -hmm. I think, still accounting for over a million deaths per year worldwide from the diseases that they transmit. Um, So, Dr. Dean, I was hoping with your infectious disease expertise, you could walk us through sort of some of the most common mosquito-borne diseases here in the U.S. as well as worldwide. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., West Nile virus is probably the most common disease spread by mosquitoes. This may cause fever, headache, and in severe cases, neurologic disease like meningitis or encephalitis. But luckily for us and for children, this is much more common to be symptomatic and severe in adults compared to children. And then there are some mosquito species in some parts of the U.S., um, mostly the South. So Florida, Texas, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and American Samoa. These species can transmit dengue, chikungunya, and Zika virus. Dengue is also known as breakbone fever, and this has a sudden onset of fever and rash and such severe joint and muscle pains. That's why it's called breakbone fever. Chikungunya may cause fever and joint pains, and the pain may be debilitating and last for months. 
And then Zika, of course, we've heard um, in recent years, this may severely affect the developing fetus. In other parts of the world, mosquitoes spread malaria and yellow fever, but fortunately in the U.S., malaria transmission is almost completely eliminated. But worldwide, malaria causes more than 200 million infections a year and more than 400,000 deaths a year. Most of these are in children in the Africa region. And I can tell you in my experience as an infectious disease expert, in the last month, I've seen two kids with malaria um, in the Sacramento area. One of them uh, acquired it in Sierra Leone and the other in um, Nigeria. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, our personal anecdote was that I got married a couple years ago, a couple summers ago in uh, Massachusetts, and there was a mosquito-borne illness called Eastern Equine Encephalitis mm-hmm. that was going around, which is, like, very fatal. Um, I think there were only, like, a couple cases, but that was our big, like, oh, no, um, in this area, there's this scary mosquito-borne disease. So definitely, you know, can impact us here in the U.S. as as well as elsewhere. Yeah. And it could really affect the home environment, too. So um, the mosquitoes can breed very quickly in any standing water. So make sure that you check your yard to ensure there's no standing water. And think of like pots in the garden where you water your your um, potted plant and the water accumulates um, in the saucer below hand or in gutters. Um, some people have tires or other things. It can be other receptacles that can um, ha- result in standing water. And mosquitoes like warmer weather, so they tend to be worse in the summer, but the exact mosquito season is different depending on wherever you live. Mm-hmm. And when you're going outside around dusk or dawn, which are the most appealing times for mosquitoes, make sure you're dressing yourself and your child in long sleeves. And then how about like mosquito repellents or like citronella candles? Um, are those okay for kids? Yeah, so repellents are great. Um, there are chemical repellents. Most common ones that are used are DEET and picaritin, and these protect against mosquitoes, ticks, and other flies. DEET contains repellents that are effective and safe, but in children, we don't want to use too much. So in children, um, we generally recommend a concentration of no more than 30% of DEET. And the chemical repellents should not be used in infants younger than two months of age, and some say less than six months of age. The concentration of DEET in a product indicates how long the product will be effective. A higher concentration works for longer periods of time. So, for example, 10% DEET provides protection for about two hours, and 30% protects for about five hours. So, use the appropriate um, amount um, for the appropriate concentration for the amount of time you expect to be outside. The CDC, in general, recommends using products with a minimum of 20% DEET. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so like I guess if you're going to go play outside for two hours, then only 10% would be necessary for mm-hmm. kids. Picaridin, if I'm saying that right, <laughs> is, considered, <I> think so. <laughs> is considered equally effective, um, and some prefer it because it has less of an odor and it doesn't have any damaging effect on plastics or other materials the way that DEET does. Um And you want to take care when applying these products to kids to make sure you only use them on skin exposed and avoid the hands, the mouth, and the eyes. What about natural repellents like plant oils, lemon oil, citronella? And I've heard that the oil of lemon eucalyptus, that that repels mosquitoes. These are safe, but they've really not been approved for effectiveness by the EPA. Um, So most will just keep insects away for a short period of time. In addition, some of these natural repellents can cause really 
significant skin irritation if your kid has some sensitive skin. And if they're ingested or get into the airway, they can be really toxic in small children. Um, so make sure you're keeping them away from small kids. Of course, DEET and all of the other ones as well. We don't want them to ingest, so it's not unique to these these oils. If there's a serious risk in the area you're traveling to or you live for a mosquito-borne illness, then we would, again, recommend a product with DEET or picaridin as opposed to one of these more natural ones. But if you're sitting around outside and there's mosquito activity, it feels like you're doing something if you light a citronella <laughs> candle or one of those mosquito coils. And the smell's not bad. It's yeah, kind of a nice yeah, smell, Yeah, it's a right? nice ambiance. <laughs> I've seen some clothing for children that says it has insect repellent in it, impregnated in it. So are these recommended for children who may be going to high-risk areas? Yeah, I think most of these clothes are treated with permethrin, which is a different insect repellent that deters both mosquitoes and ticks. Um, Some parents may recognize that name from using it on their kid's head to treat lice. But remember, that's only going to protect the area that's covered by the clothing. So they still may need to apply something else onto the exposed like hands or arms, if it's a short sleeve shirt, a very, very small amount would be absorbed through the skin, so it poses a very low risk to kids. But remember that it should be washed separately from your other laundry, and it will have like a predetermined number of washes that it's effective for. So it may say like 15 washes or 20 washes, um, and then it's not as effective after that. So we discussed preventing mosquito bites. Now, what about the treatment of mosquito bites? You mentioned before that you can have a large local reaction, like you discussed with the bee sting, the swelling and redness around the bite, and that this can commonly be mistaken for a skin infection or an allergy. Mm-hmm. I mean, luckily, most people have a far less robust response to a mosquito bite than a bee sting. Most are just annoying and itchy, Um But they may be sensitive and they may have a larger local skin reaction. We do not see people that have anaphylaxis to a mosquito bite. Um, But after getting a mosquito bite, you can have the child ice the area, apply an over-the-counter steroid or anti-itch cream like hydrocortisone, which we mentioned, or calamine lotion, which can help with itching. I'll just do a testimonial, which is like when (laughs) I get a mosquito bite, I put on over-the-counter steroid cream on it, and it really works well the sooner you put it on. It really yeah. decreases the the itching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, because these can be really itchy, you know, it's important to keep the fingernails clean. And, you know, if a kid's really itching it, they're going to they're gonna itch it raw. It's going to bleed. So cover up the bite with a Band-Aid if you need to. And if you notice a, a scab have developed on top of the bite or there's new honey crusting or drainage from the area... Sometimes you can develop a small superficial skin infection like impetigo. Mm-hmm. Um, if you notice this, it's appropriate to try cleaning the area with a gentle soap and apply like an over-the-counter antibacterial ointment, you know, polysporin or neosporin a few times a day. But if you notice it's not improving or it's getting draining more or getting bigger, definitely check in with your pediatrician. Okay, so we've taken care of bees and mosquitoes, so now should we touch briefly on spiders? Yes. Are you a person that is afraid of spiders or not so much? Well, I mostly leave them alone because I've heard that they're really beneficial for the environment and they control other gross bugs. So I really go out of my way to 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 not, like, kill them. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, the big spiders, those are kind of scary. You don't want to be close to those. 
Yeah, I'm the same. I, I don't have a like fear of spiders at all, but I just kind of avoid them and let them be. And it, that's a reasonable approach to have because the vast majority of spiders here in the U.S. will not cause significant injury, and that's a good thing to know. Most of them will not bite you even. And for the majority of bites you do get, you're going to treat them the same way we mentioned above for the large local reaction. Mm-hmm. But there are two types of spiders that are notorious in the U.S. for being more serious, and that's the black widow and the brown recluse spider. So both of these spiders like to live in dark, undisturbed areas. You might find them in a basement, garage, or shed, brush piles, under flower pots, or inside gardening gloves or boots. The classic place is like a wood pile. So keep these areas as clean as possible, wear gloves when you're gardening, and always shake out boots and gloves before you put them on. Yep, or you can be like me and hire a pest control service um, to come to your house and take care of them for you. But the black widow is definitely recognizable to most adults. It's shiny black body, and it has sort of this red hourglass mark on their abdomen. Um, They are more commonly live in the south and western United States and definitely live here where we live in, in Sacramento, California. The brown recluse spider is most commonly found in the southern and midwestern states. It is appropriately named because it's tan or brown in color, and it's got this violin-shaped marking on its back. If you're able to trap the spider safely after sustaining a bite, which, I don't know, people are pretty mad. They usually squish them, right? But if you do trap it, that can be really useful because then you can identify it and you can know how best to monitor and, and treat appropriately. The immediate feeling after you get one of these bites can be quite a bit different depending on what it is that bites you. So with a black widow, there's usually immediate pain, and you'll notice um, a small puncture wounds and redness and swelling around the area. If the pain is mild, you can likely just wash it, apply ice, elevate, and monitor. But if it's severe, for example, if your child is developing any muscle cramps, then they should be seen right away. And in the most severe cases, they may be treated with an anti-venom. And for the brown recluse spider, it is interesting in that the bite usually doesn't hurt initially. And then over the first few days, the venom can actually break down our tissue. And over time, it gets darker in color and it eventually creates this black kind of crater-like scar that's called an eschar um, or eschar. Escar? Ishar? (laughs) I thought it it was Escar. Escar. And there's obviously when you have this tissue breakdown, there's a risk for developing infection um, in these types of bites. And unfortunately, we actually don't have an antivenom available for the brown recluse, but but it is nice there's never been any deaths reported. So if you believe your child may have been bit by a brown recluse spider, then it is important to seek medical attention right away. Yeah, I've seen some of these brown recluse bites, and they're really nasty. I mean, it, the venom actually destroys the tissue, kills yeah. the tissue. Oof. And um, so the, really the primary um, treatment of this is by the either burn surgeons or plastic surgeons to wow. um, make sure that, to prevent infection and, and dress and promote healing. Yeah, Oy, something yeah. you don't really want. For both um, types of spiders, the bite may increase the risk for tetanus, so it's important to make sure that your tetanus immunization is up to date. Right. And for all these, poison control is really a great resource. I think that probably people underutilize um, when they're concerned about possible venomous bites. So you can call anytime, 24 hours. Their number is one 800 
222-1222. Or you can, you know, Google it on your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. So that's in the U.S. And if you're listening in another country, there's um, other, other poison control numbers for each specific country. So we hope that the discussion during this episode cleared up some common questions about insect bites and stings that children encounter. So let's summarize the main points. Bees, hornets, and yellow jacket stings are definitely not uncommon, and while most lead to minor pain and swelling, they may cause a larger local reaction or, in severe cases, allergy and anaphylaxis. Avoid stings by checking the areas your child plays, dressing them in neutral colors while in high-risk areas. If stung, attempt to remove the stinger if it's still in place and ice the area, elevate, consider applying an over-the-counter steroid cream or baking soda paste, and monitor for signs of a more severe allergy. And of course, seek medical attention right away if these allergy symptoms develop. For mosquito bites, avoid by eliminating standing water around your home and applying a repellent when in a high-risk area. These are proven to be safe in children. While most spider bites can be monitored at home, two spiders in the United States, the black widow and the brown recluse, may cause more severe local tissue damage and should be monitored and closely followed by a medical professional. And that reminds me of a joke. Uh-oh. A spider joke? Well, a bee joke. Okay. So when a bee is in your hand, what's in your eye? I do not know. Beauty. Because beauty is in the eye of the bee holder. <laughs> That's a good one. So I remember as a kid getting bee stings. And it's like it's like a kid thing, right? I mean, kids just get them so much more often. And, you know, as an adult, um, with the kids in my life, like the most common thing I've seen is kids um, outdoors and they're barefoot on the lawn mm-hmm. and they step on a bee, right? Yep, yep. And Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I mean, that seems like the recently the most common common scenario I've seen of, of bee yes. stings. Yes, totally. And I've been seeing a lot of these large local reactions come into my office. And they can be, like, hot and tight and warm. Um, and, you know, it's kind of tricky sometimes to distinguish from, like, an infection. And so usually I, like, wait with the time course. You know, I'll give it, like, a week or so and— really try and tell them to do all of the other things like elevate and ice and try and antihistamine and some of that. But yeah, I've been seeing a lot of these. And and I know, Dr. Dean, that they're usually not infections. Usually not, right. (laughs) Yeah. So we usually want to avoid giving antibiotics unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. In Sacramento, um, there's, there's hornets in the area. And a couple of years ago, our gardener who was mowing the lawn, he got bit by a hornet. And he, then he, t- he told us, he said, you got to get rid of this hornet's nest, which we didn't know we had in the backyard, that there was a hornet's nest in the plum tree. Mm. Um, and my wife said, how are you going to get rid of that? And, you know, we should hire a professional. And I thought, well, you know, generally I don't like to kill animals, but I didn't like having a hornet's nest in the backyard. But you can get the stuff to spray from a very large distance onto the hornet's nest and it um it, it works it kills them interesting interesting yeah keep the kids inside when you do that <laughs> right <laughs> that wraps up this episode of kids considered you can find more information on our website kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu follow us on twitter at kids considered and instagram at kids considered If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. 
please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 